Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Online Warriors podcast. We've got a great episode for you this week and a very special surprise guest. Before we get into the news, we have Stephanie Chikowski with us today. You may recognize her from the roles in her latest projects, Doom Patrol and The Call of the Wild. Stephanie, thank you so much for coming on the show today. How's it going? It's going well. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate being able to talk to you guys. This is very exciting. So just to kind of jump right into some of our questions, sure. you know, you've had a, a really great and illustrious career. I mean, we've, we looked at your IMDb and all of your different credits, and you've been on a ton of shows. So what kind of inspired you to pursue a career in acting to begin with? And how did you break into the industry? Um, well, Olivia Newton-John in Greece inspired me to be an actor um, and a performer. And I just kind of went, I'm from the Midwest, so I didn't know how to get into it. So I kind of just went the route of going to college. I, um, once I graduated from high school, I went to NYU and I went to Tisch and then pretty much have been kind of pounding the pavement since then. <laughs> and, you know, it's that overnight success story that, you know, takes a good 10, 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. It, it's kind of one of those things that like once... I feel like a little bit like once the door opens, you're like, oh, oh, God, people trust me. And then you just, you know, it's it's kind of getting through the door. Then then things start to come a little bit not easier, but they just come a little bit easier than not having them at all. Yeah, like making those first connections and then it kind of opens up a world of opportunities. Yeah. Well, I think it's that thing of specifically like, you know, you book a role and the fact that, you know, you've had a role other casting directors look at you and are like, oh, you can be trusted to be on this set and you did your job. And so, I mean, that's kind of what the resume kind of ends up doing. And then you also make relationships with directors, et cetera. So it just, you know, it's about net, it's about networking like anything else, except for it's just a lot less linear. <laughs> Interesting. So you've actually appeared on a ton of shows and movies that we've loved. You've had roles on TV shows like Criminal Minds, Shameless, and Doom Patrol. And you've even been in movies like Breakthrough and Call of the Wild. These obviously span a lot of different genres and formats. Which genre or format do you enjoy the most? You know, that's an interesting question um, because all of these different genres and the different shows have afforded me the opportunity to do different things. Um, I think Doom Patrol has to be my favorite simply because it's my first time just being able to repeat a character and as the show keeps going, my role expands and I get to explore different aspects of Hammerhead's personality. Mm -hmm. And also it taps into things that I like to do. I'm a really physical person, so I get to do some stunt work. So it, it kind of plays into all of my favorite things in a way that just has to make it my favorite, just because it allows me to tap into the things that I personally really enjoy doing. So I'm going to jump to another question that kind of segues wonderfully into that. How do you prep for scenes that are super physically and mentally strenuous? Physically, I've been very fortunate um, in the sense that I'm, I'm a fitness instructor as well. So when I'm not auditioning and whatnot, I teach fitness classes. I've been a personal trainer. So physically, I'm pretty adept at picking up things. Um, before going into a scene, you'll have a rehearsal like on Doom Patrol, for example, or even on Call of the Wild, um, I've done a couple of my own stunts. The big heavy lifting stuff, I don't do because 
as I, I just don't have the skill to be thrown into a wall and I don't think my body <laughs> could handle it, but pretty much it literally is just, it's, you know, stunts in themselves is kind of like a dance. You choreograph it and then you run it and then you just kind of find the groove and it's really collaborative, which I love. And when it comes to, you know, the scenes emotionally, it's kind of the same thing. You do this work, you do this work to figure out where your character's coming from. For me, a lot of the time, I try to find out where I cook in in my own life. And then you just kind of interact with the, your partner on set. It's the mm-hmm. beautiful thing about working with with actors like Diane and you know Chrissy Metz is it, they give you so much that literally all you have to do is be there and be present. So you actually brought up Diane Guerrero. And one of the interesting things about your role as Hammerhead is that, you know, as an actor, you're tasked with taking on the persona of your character. But for Hammerhead, multiple people are actually portraying this character. So how do you make sure that your interpretation of Hammerhead jived with that of Diane? Yeah, that's a wild, isn't it? I know. Um, when I was first auditioning for it, because everything was so top secret, which is awesome, but also as an actor, you're like, I just need something to look at. And a lot of times on other projects, you can go and you can watch what they've been doing. But because Doom Patrol was in its first season and it hadn't aired yet, um, when we went to audition, everybody who was auditioning for the role, producers had allowed us to see what Diane was doing as Hammerhead in the first couple episodes of the season. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have your interpretation of what it is, and then you take a look at what she's doing. And honestly, I was like, oh, I think we are coming from the same place, which was really nice. And then once you got on set, Diane has been incredibly generous, especially in that very first episode in season one, Jane Patrol, because there were so many of us. And again, we didn't have the information. We had the comic books, but she had done deeper work with the character she had actually portrayed. So she was really open to just being like, hey, what do you need to know? And, you know, there were scenes where I was like, especially in the midst of all the other characters to be like, Hey, Diane, how would you say this? Because I'm trying to make sure I'm matching, but not doing an imitation of you. And so in that way, I mean, Diane's amazing. Just she's a talent that I'm so lucky to work with and to watch work. But in that way, when it comes to the Janes, you know, she really is a leader in being able to being able to help you find where it is. And then once you find it, you kind of explore it on your own. Mm -hmm. That's so awesome. Yeah. So in the show, Jane has 64 different personalities living in her head. Obviously, you play Hammerhead. Which personality would you say is the most like you in real life? You know, it's kind of embarrassing and kind of boring, but they cast me really well um, because of all her personalities, I am the most like Hammerhead. I would say that in my younger years, the anger, I can get in touch with the anger because I, as a younger woman, had that frustration and I have a much better sense of it, mm-hmm. but, but I fully understand where she comes from when she gets very fiery and passionate. I am just less physical and taking it out on people. <laughs> Although sometimes my husband would be like, I don't know, you're really, you're just really stubborn sometimes. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> but. yeah, I would, I would say unequivocally it's hammerhead. Like I just, you know, I was just like, Oh God. Oh God, someone finally wrote a role that's so me. I mean, not the, <laughs> not the warmer sides of me, but you know, a definite thing that's like, yep, I could put my hand right in this glove. 
Well, even beyond that, Hammerhead has shown some empathy and, and some opportunities warming up. So yeah, it's it's a pretty nice character to, to kind of fit into. Yeah, it's a lovely character to embody because I think, you know, not to get ethereal and whatnot, but it's been interesting to see fans' reactions because... We are women in general have a lot of women I know have a have problems with anger and it's a scary, scary thing to go into what anger is. And the fact that anger always, in my estimation, always stems from something. It usually just Mm -hmm. stems from two. Like, I feel like every emotion stems from two things, love and fear. Mm-hmm. And someone's angry because they love someone or they're angry because they're fearful of something. And so to be able to go beyond just like this blanket, like she's just angry and really get into why. And I just believe that, you know, her passion and her, her aggression comes from this deep, deep caring because she wants to keep Jane safe or wants to keep mm-hmm. Kay safe. Yeah, it, it's been really interesting progression to watch because I feel like I relate to that so much. Like, as you said, as a woman, like a, lo- a lot of emotions, I feel like aren't very black and white. There's always a deeper meaning. And so it's been really great to watch that development and get to know the character better and her motivations behind those emotions, like you said. Yeah. You never get frustrated at people you don't care about. That is true. Like, it, yeah, the, the most the harshest thing is not, you know, love or hate. It's apathy. Like, like if you don't care, then that says a lot more. (laughs) So Doom Patrol has had a lot of crazy shenanigans that happen throughout the show. Does the strangeness and goofiness that's seen on screen continue once the cameras stop? Yeah, it's a really loose set. And in particular, when it's just like the ladies, because we're all in the underground, which is when I usually show up, you know, the the Janes, the, the cadre of Janes, we are kind of like our own little club. And so, you know, you have just weird things are happening in terms of like one of my friends, um, Hannah, who plays pretty Polly has that giant hoop skirt. And so it's always like three of us helping her to go to the bathroom because you know, it's, just, <laughs> it's all that stuff of like having to go behind and be like, Oh, I having to negotiate all the crazy stuff that's been built for you to then try to just have normal life or go to like craft services. <laughs> I really envision once the camera stopped, you shout out Jane's roll out. Just... <laughs> James, formation. I'm, I'm, waiting, I'm waiting to the point that we can like TikTok and be like, James, formation. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, it, I think it had. I mean, we've become we and of ourselves have become because we spend so much time together, and because it's a unique thing to be on set with that many women. Like, it's it's the first time I've ever experienced that. Honestly, like that many people all together, and it's just such a neat thing that we've. We've really, really bonded in a way that I never dreamed would happen. And I'm so lucky to have experienced it. So we also recently got the announcement that HBO Max renewed Doom Patrol for season three. So what do you kind of hope and envision for the show as it goes into its next season? Um, I hope they carry it out the way that they have. I love the fact that they're digging deeper into the characters. I mean, I selfishly, of course, want them to deal with more stuff on the underground. I mean, it left us in such a cliffhanger that I'm interested to see what happens. And from what I've read, Jeremy told told a publication, he's like, there'll be a lot more, you know, strife in the underground, which bodes well for me, I hope. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I would like to see more of the, I would like to see more of that. You know, I have I have a special dream that at some point, you know, somehow the 
the underground is becomes corporeal and somehow they bring us to the surface and we're interacting with the main characters. You know, uh, my friend Jackie, who plays the secretary, has a special dream that, you know, suddenly something goes wonky in the underground and suddenly all the underground personas are playing different people, you know? So, and the thing about Doom Patrol is that's all actually possible because they don't leave anything off the table. So I'm just excited to see where they'll take it. Right. We've already seen that characters can go into Jane's head. So why not the other way around? You know, you know, I mean, we can go to a painting. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I also want to. I also want a musical version. Everyone seems to get to sing, and I'm like, I want to like underground because then, because then I'll like check off every single thing that I really like doing while performing, and then I'll just be like, ha, ah, you know, Doom Patrol is the penultimate. Where's the ultimate? <laughs> So speaking of other things that you've done in your career, you've also done some voiceover work in video games like Star Wars The Old Republic. What were some kind of unique challenges? Because obviously it's got to be a lot different than some on-screen work that you've done. So what are the challenges to voice acting work compared to on-screen roles? Actually, I am the face of Senya Tyrell. I'm not the voice. Um, so it's a little bit of a misnomer. Um, I gotcha. have, However, so for that performance in particular, they had gone to, they were moving their technology up to where you could get more facial recognition. Mm-hmm. And so they used the avatar technology. And it, so it was a lot of not, I mean, I was talking, but they didn't record it. And it was literally just reaction, um, which was so astounding. Now to your point, I have done voiceover work. Um, I actually was scheduled to do a, a video game that I'm not allowed to talk about because of NDAs. And then it got canceled because of COVID. But I've also done some work for JPL, like doing narration and whatnot. And what you find is you that movement behind a, a microphone actually helps to convey what you're thinking because you mm-hmm. have to embody this character. So in certain respects, it's and you know, and video games in themselves, depending upon what the tone is, they are really filmatic. So it's kind of the same preparation, but you also get the benefit of being able to utilize the mic in a way that you don't necessarily always get on set. Very, very cool. Because, yeah, I mean, we obviously were also video game fans. So it's really cool when we see actors and actresses make the transition between screen and voice acting roles. So, yeah, it's it's really neat to see some insight on the kind of the differences that we see there. I mean, a lot of how you get to what it's going to be is the same in terms of emotions and stuff. It's just scaling it and recognizing what technology you're using and what you need to lean into a little bit more. So with that, if you can pick any future role to play... What would be your absolute dream role? You know, I thought about this a lot. And because I so want to be part of the actual live action um, Star Wars canon, my dream is that they will take that video game, they will make it a live action series, and I will actually be able to play Senya Tyrell. So if J.J. Abrams is listening, um, yeah, but like <laughs> literally I like just the, the, the lightsaber and the, the general and just her whole character and where she comes from and what she represents is just like, yes, I want to do this. <laughs> yeah, that'd be absolutely amazing. So you've got a chance to work with some pretty big names in the acting world. I mean, William H. Macy and Shameless, you had pretty much a scene interacting with him very closely. <laughs> Harrison Ford, Brendan Fraser. What's the coolest moment that you've had on set out of all of the shows that you've been on and all of the big names that you've worked with? Unequivocally. Being on Call of the Wild with Harrison Ford was probably like 
one of the biggest like childhood dream checkoff list. And in that movie, because, you know, the dogs were, were digitized, I remember we were taking a break and they usually give you, um, you can either go back to your trailer or sometimes they'll have holding for you. And in this particular project, they had built this entire like 1800s town and mm-hmm. they had built a practical bar. And so that's where they were holding the people who are technically principals. But it was kind of a mix of like extras were there. And but Harrison Ford was there as well, which was kind of remarkable just because sometimes stars will like insist that they're away from everybody else. But he was just kind of there and hanging out. And I remember I had to go get a photograph. So I left because they have to like digitize you. So if they need to do some stuff in post, they've got you. And I came back and Harrison Ford was lying on the floor on a packing blanket in this practical bar with his like 1800s hat on his chest, just taking a nap on the floor. (laughs) And I just remember being like, this dude is the coolest dude on the face of the planet because he was just so, he was just so chill. And I was like, Harrison Ford's laying on the floor. (laughs) So his reputation definitely precedes him. I mean, there's been interviews with Mark Hamill and uh, Harrison Ford. I'm I'm not sure if you've heard it where he just goes, it ain't that kind of movie, kid. Have you heard that interview before? No, I have not. No, I have not. He's just, he's just so, he's just so lovely. He's not high, in my experience, not high maintenance, just, you know, just handles people who come up to him. Like when I went to the premiere, he's really generous with his time and understands what his celebrity is. And it's just, just rolls with it, man. He just rolls with it. I also, I also, he like, he had gone to, he had gone to crafty and he'd gotten some, he'd gotten some like roasted nuts and then he had to go on set and he never picked them up. So like me and my postmaster assistant postmaster are like, oh, we're getting to Harrison Ford's nuts. I'm like, oh, he's <laughs> I'm just like, yes, I stole Harrison Ford's nuts. I've eaten Harrison Ford's leftover nuts. That is me. That is me in my ultimate fangirl. But it was pretty awesome. That is super cool. So <laughs> kind of switching gears a little bit. One of the things that our listeners might not know is that you're a survivor of not one, but three different types of cancer. And one of the things that we found really inspiring is how you've gone out there and you've shared your experience with the world to try to help others. I mean, you've chronicled your journey on your blog, chemoskinny.com, and you've, you've helped to detail the impacts cancer can have with your performance on I Frickin' Love You. What encouraged you to get out there and tell your story? Well, it was a lot of things. Um, it was... I mean, part of it was I had come through a really, really hard year. I'd lost people closest to me, my father, um, my uncle, and one of my best friends from college. And so it kind of felt like it was just like one thing on top of another. And I got to that first diagnosis and I was like, really, man? Like, I was just kind of like, what more can happen? And it was part and parcel. I was... I felt like I didn't have the bandwidth to hide it from people, mm-hmm. but also for myself, I needed, I know that I needed to process it and I'm a fitness instructor and I have people that I talk to and I just found that the easiest way to communicate what was going on was to write it down. A, so I had a record, but also as I started going through the process you start to recognize, and I, you don't know it. it. It it reminds me of like, you know, when you buy a car and you see it everywhere. The the Mojo Nixon song, Elvis is everywhere. Once you see something, 
it keeps coming into your life. And I started recognizing all these people or was introduced to all these people who were going through the same thing I was. And the fact that when my, my husband and I searched out things that would have an honest assessment of what it puts you through that you could find certain things just like there's just stuff for women. There's just stuff for there's, you know, support groups, but there didn't seem to be anything that just talked about what it is. And I felt like, well, you know what? I've come from a place where losing people to cancer is I have my own trigger that like cancer is death. And that's not where we are anymore. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like to be honest about it might help somebody go through it a little bit easier, but it also just helped me because I'm like, this is what it is. And I thought to be, to be open about it was just easier and a lot less energy than hiding it. Honestly, Mm -hmm. you know, it just, the amount of, you know, to try and, and I didn't see the point in trying to hide it because I feel like specifically after dealing with so much, uh, you know, dealing with so much death and loss, there's this, there's this idea that we're just supposed to be over things. Like it happens and it's over, like, you know, your parent dies and then you bury them. And then it's, that's, and that's just not what having to deal with big things is like. And I just felt like having experienced that with the loss of my parents and then watching or looking to people in terms of cancer diagnosis that, you know, everyone's just supposed to be okay. And where I think in a critical part in our lives, just as human beings that living is rough stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we just honor that, we might have an easier time at it because we're all kind of in it together because it's just not easy. And I, yeah, I, you know, you know, it's just hard. It's just hard. Yeah, absolutely. It's certainly nice too to have that community of support and uh, let people know that you're not alone in this. Yeah, yeah. So thank you very much for st- sharing that story. Oh, you're welcome. I mean, I've found that, you know, COVID has given my husband and I an opportunity to really look back in the midst of, I think part of it was in the midst of going through anything that you're like, you know, it's when you're in crisis, you're just trying to get through mm-hmm. and you always think you're, and you always think in the midst of it, you're, you're dealing with it, but it, that's not actually true. Like you're getting through it. And then suddenly on the other end is where you deal with it. And so it's like, we're actually still in the process of crossing it. Cause it doesn't just like, just cause you get a clear signal just doesn't end. So, you know, right. we've been talking about it on a blog and stuff. It's, it's a long going process. And in the end, I just feel like the more humanity we show towards other people in whatever ways we can just makes the world better. So I figured that was kind of just the way to go about it. Absolutely. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Thanks, Stephanie, again for the interview. But before we finish this up, I have one more question for you. And that is, if you were a real life superhero, what power would you have? This one, this one stumped me for, I had to think about this for a while. Like, because I've been asked this before and I'm like, sometimes it changes from time to time. Mm-hmm. So it's a tie right now. It's a tie between shapeshifter. And I don't know if that's the actor in me, but I like the idea that I could like shapeshift and go anywhere or time travel. Like, I like the idea that I can go back in time. That would actually be really neat. Yeah, you could yeah. go back. I mean, even there's so many historical events that it would be cool to just kind of be like a fly on the wall, you know, and exactly. just go back in time and watch everything unfold and watch history in the making. I know, I know. You know, and then there's that, you know, there's always that whenever you see movies about like time travel, you're like, you, or even back to the future, like, don't screw with the timeline. I'm like, hmm, <laughs> would I screw yep. with the timeline? I don't know. 
I don't know. But I think it's a tie between both of those. I think it's a tie between both of those. So once again, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day and coming on our show. Before we sign off today, anything else you'd like to let our listeners know? Any projects that are upcoming that you want to give a shout out to or anything like that? Honestly, uh, I actually just got off a commercial, but I'm not allowed to talk about that. Um, but it was pretty awesome. We're actually, we, my husband and I have taken chemo skinny in this pandemic. It's breast cancer awareness month. Um, so we actually are dropping a podcast where we talk about stuff because we realize people don't like reading anymore, but honestly, just watch doom patrol. If you haven't, you're in for a great treat. It's such a good show. And I don't say that just cause I'm on it. It's just cause it's that good. <laughs> Thank you so much, Stephanie. Super appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Okay, welcome back to the Online Warriors podcast. Uh, We want to thank Stephanie Chikowsky for giving us that fantastic interview, telling us about her experiences uh, with the great Harrison Ford, one of my favorite actors, and telling us a lot more about the experience of working on Doom Patrol and the other things that she's she's contributed to. So thanks again to her. And now we're going to get back into the news portion of the show. This week, starting with Free Guy. So Free Guy, I believe we talked about Free Guy. This would have had to have been... <sighs> I mean, a few months ago, at least. This is a movie that's slated to come out later this year. December 11th is when it, the current release date is, obviously subject to COVID. But we got a new trailer for it. And to give a, just a brief synopsis of the movie, Ryan Reynolds is an NPC in a video game. It's basically the premise. And he suddenly, I guess, you know, has his Matrix moment, wakes up, realizes he's in the video game with the help of the female protagonist. And they get together and essentially, it looks like, create a revolution within this board game to keep things online. So there's a lot to unpack in this trailer. A lot of great jokes, a lot of action, a lot of special effects. I mean, my first thought when watching this was this is an expensive movie and I actually don't have the number in front of me as far as how much it cost. But I guess to throw it over to you guys, uh, Tactic and Nerd Bomber, yay or nay on, on, on seeing this, you know, what obviously in theaters might not be an option, but whenever you can, I guess, yay or nay. So I'm going to see it. Um, yeah. When I first saw the original trailer, I got a lot of Wreck-It Ralph for an adult audience uh, type movie where the video game characters, when the game isn't running, they're off boot in a boot doing their own thing and i thought that was that was cool but kind of intrigued about what's going on you know is there interaction there and this trailer confirmed that for me i was really excited to see not only an interaction with the real world but right. your favorite actor from stranger things is also making an appearance joe keery love joe keery and so that in my opinion was also very exciting yeah the the, the kiss button joke was one of the better jokes in the trailer where, you know, he she's talking about her experience with just kissing the NPC. I mean, and Joe Carey's like, there's no button for that. I really enjoyed that this is the second trailer that I've seen, I think, in the last year, two years with Joe Carey and Baba O'Reilly playing in the background. <laughs> right. Gotta love it. I, I I particularly liked the uh, when he was like, it's my first time driving a car. This was towards the end of the trailer, but that was another good joke. It's I think the sense of humor of this movie is going to be very different than, you know, with Ryan Reynolds, obviously he's been in other things since then, but where we become accustomed to the Deadpool sense of humor, which is this, you know, very fourth wall heavy, uh, obviously very crude, very crass, you know, no holds barred sense of humor. This character that he's bringing to this movie is a lot more innocent, like miles more innocent. Um, He's like an aw shucks kind of like nice guy. You know what I mean? Right. And, and, you know, he does a cool thing in the trailer. And he's like, did that look cool? Like, it's it's not 
Deadpool is very tongue in cheek and there's not really any of that going on here at all. And I think it could be a really nice change of pace and, and, you know, for Ryan Reynolds sake, it could also, you know, show his, uh, his depth as, as an actor. I'm really into this. I mean, we also should talk about Taika Waititi, who, you know, I believe he's, he's not directing. I believe he's producing it. He's involved, or he might just be acting in it, but he appears to be playing the villain. I guess the guy who's trying to keep this video game world afloat or trying to shut it down, I guess is actually what it would be. You know, this, this video game's going to be taken offline, I guess. And he desperately wants that. And meanwhile, Ryan Reynolds' character becomes this heroic figure the world over people are, are seeing him i guess incite this revolt within the video game and they're and they're banding behind him, i guess did they call him blue, blue shirt, shirt guy? guy yep yeah which what what a moniker maybe I'm, I'm kind of i guess wondering aloud why they didn't call the movie blue shirt guy <laughs> but yeah i mean I'm, I'm i'm really i'm as into this as i initially was um i'm really hoping to be able to see it in theaters it looks like an experience that demands a big screen i mean I, when you think about video game movies of course these are always difficult i mean this granted this isn't really a video game movie it's more a movie that is probably going to incorporate a lot of video game tropes i mean i'm looking on on google here just at the you know the little thing on the side that shows what the movie's about and i see that a youtuber is playing cubert so like you know there's probably going to be some classic shout outs in this they didn't show many of those in the trailer necessarily but 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 with you know recent successes like sonic we could be seeing a renaissance for video game movies. I mean, they there's a lot of tropes to draw on, right? I, I think that's equally as important. I mean, think about, again, in the Ryan Reynolds headspace, think about Deadpool and how it draws on comic book tropes so frequently and makes a lot of hay comedically out of that. With video games, you have the same thing at your disposal. And, and the movie, I think it was called Pixels, that Adam Sandler movie that tried to do this and oh, yeah. failed completely. You know, there's a world to be conquered here, I think. Um, and, you know, if you can provide great action while doing so, that's just that's just a bonus. But there's a lot on display here. I'm really excited for it. Definitely going to see it. We'll probably get another trailer before the before the release itself happens. But I really want to know if they're they're planning to do like a, a video on demand type release, because I know in my area personally, I think a lot of my regals and stuff, because I, I heard that regals will be probably closing and it's primarily what we have we don't really have amcs around us and so i'm wondering what they're going to do if a lot of these movie chains end up closing please give me a video on demand thing because i I would definitely pay 20 30 bucks to see this in my house well and i have to think i mean you know now that you've brought it up i mean we had multiple high profile delays this week again uh no time to die got pushed back i think to easter 2021 and dune which I don't know. Did we talk about that on the podcast? I don't know. We, yep, we think did. so. That got pushed back to October 2021. So like almost a year. Because I knew that was supposed to come out later this year. Like we're continuing to see this shift, you know, either in anticipation of worsening, you know, COVID crisis or just because they think that the crisis is lifting, but they're not going to get critical mass to make their money back. Free Guy, you know, December 11th does feel a little bit like wishful thinking. I, I obviously hope it happens uh, both for their sake and for our sake, but at this point, if you're any movie studio, you have to start thinking about, okay, where does this where does this slot into? Or like you said, does it get a video on demand release? Because we saw that sort of thing early on in the pandemic with, I think it was Trolls World Tour, Invisible Man, The Hunt. Like there, there were a few movies that went VOD and I think they did okay. I don't know if we have the returns on Mulan yet as far as how it did financially. I but don't think Disney has released official figures for Mulan. I know there was a lot of speculation about how it did, but I don't think Disney released anything official. But I do remember Trolls performing really, really well. Right. 
which granted, you know, it's a different demographic. That's a kid's movie. So assumedly it's going to be a family experience. And at that point, you know, you get more bang for your buck buying a video on demand for $20 if if five people are going to be watching it. Honestly, translating it to movie costs. This is kind of like I would not hesitate. I guess I'd have to see what the final rating and everything for the movie is and what kind of like graphic content it has. But in terms of like violence, it's nothing really over the top that you wouldn't see in a video game. And it almost kind of feels like it could be like a fringe borderline family movie you know what i mean yeah they just gotta so, avoid some of the game tropes like the really hardcore ones like tetris and they should be fine i'm looking it's okay it's rated pg-13 so i mean that's kind of like a family movie i mean you get your middle school high school kids i don't even, i don't really know the age cutoffs for school anymore but you get your like middle school and high school age kids who are really into fortnite i feel like this would have a pretty decent appeal for the whole family but well, there's definitely going to be gta vibes in there so oh, for that, sure that and might it's it's, it's the hope is that it's GTA without the, the blood and like the also like I never played GTA and now we're kind of sidetracking, but I'm okay with it. I have never played GTA. Have you guys played GTA? I have like no. a I did a, and it was okay. purchased for me by accident by Nerd Bomber's mom, who is a very wholesome lady and had no idea what I was well, getting into. Okay. So to be fair, it wasn't on accident. She bought it on purpose. But she basically, I think she Googled, like, what is the top video game for young men or whatever? And it popped up. And she's like, oh, there's cars. This looks like a good time. And then yeah, bought it. Race around the city. Yeah. Steal cars and so not I, hurt anybody. And just to be clear, I, I've i played the other, the earlier GTAs. This was GTA 5. Right. I think, you know, back when I was really young, way too young to be playing it, I, it was one of those situations where, you know, when you, like, go to your friend's house and they're like, check out this video game I got. And it was, I think it was Vice City. Roller and Coaster like, Tycoon? <laughs> and there's that yeah and there's this there's this moment where you're like i shouldn't if you're at least if you're me and you live a sheltered life and have you know parents who care about what video games you're playing i was like i definitely shouldn't be playing this but i did play and i watched him play and you know when i would get a hold of the controller I'd be like all right i'm gonna go steal a car and drive it around when he got a hold of the controller he was like i'm going to look for grandmas and shoot them shout, shout out to jordan been spent many years not really his friend anymore Hopefully he's not doing what he did in the game. But anyways, to get back on track, this should be a less bloody version of that. A less sexy... I know there's also part of GTA and my main point was, don't you like... Can't you like go to like strip clubs in GTA? Isn't that like a thing you do? You can do? pick up hookers, go to strip clubs. Yeah. You can get your money back from said hooker. Yeah, somehow I don't think wholesome Ryan Reynolds character in this movie is going to be going to strip clubs. But the point I'm trying to make, I, I agree. You know, like there, there's going to be no blood. You see, see him get punched in the face. There's no blood. He just kind of walks it off. It's a funny moment. But like, I guess if you're playing GTA, and this is a good time to, to shout out our, our Twitter following, you know, hit me up and explain it to me. What am I to gain from when I'm playing GTA, going to a strip club and paying for a lap dance? Like, I, I doesn't seem to be. It doesn't seem like it's the kind of thing that would advance the plot. It's just a thing that you can do the same way you can, you know rob a liquor store but that's part of what makes the game so great is that you can just do these random things what do you get from teabagging someone in halo i mean it doesn't Uh, get a a sense of fun so many things yeah i mean that's that's an assertion of dominance over another player going to a strip club to to watch pixelated women just kind of dance in front of you and you're paying in-game currency you could use to like i don't know buy a different gun or just i I don't get it but i've also never been to a strip club in real life so and i don't get that either so maybe i'm dismissing the strip club thing entirely but anyways for free guy to get back on the point of free guy probably not gonna be any strip clubs probably gonna be a serious gta vibe but i also am imagining a little bit more of like a crackdown vibe where you know it's a little bit more 
I would say a little bit more chaotic, a little bit less realistic, but also a little bit more cartoony. And I think that that will fit into the PG-13 vibe that they're that they're going for. But as far as VOD goes, I mean, I would love for them to do this. You know, I don't know if there's been any other recent successes since those initial ones we mentioned. I know King of Staten Island came out for rental or for purchase for like 20 bucks. But I don't know of many studios that have done this sort of thing since. And then, of course, there's move on. But I mean, as, as Regal and Cineworld closed down, it's going to become maybe a thing that happens more often. And I don't know whether I'm hoping for that or I'm not. I guess in the sense of this, I am hoping for it. But I don't know. Movie theaters are cool. I don't want them to completely die. Well, I don't want them to die. I just want to make sure I can see this movie when other people are seeing it. Because I feel like I'll be scrolling through Twitter and everyone will be talking about it. And then I'll just be sad. Right. Yeah. You don't want to miss out on the, the cultural zeitgeist. I mean, I remember, you know, I think when Deadpool 2 came out. I went to see it in theaters because I was like, I'm going to miss it. I mean, it's like the Marvel movies, right? It's the same sort of premise. You're, you're going to be missing out on conversations. Like I think the water to, like, cooler how, phenomenon. Yeah. I was just going to say like how water cooler television was back in like the nineties. Like people would watch Seinfeld on whatever night it was on because they had to, because if they didn't, then they wouldn't have anything to talk about at the water cooler and everyone would be at the water cooler talking about Seinfeld. And they wouldn't understand. So I don't know if free guys going to be that kind of thing, but you know, with Twitter, any movie, any show can be that kind of thing if you if you find the right thread. In any case, we're really rambling now, so I'll, we'll move on from Free Guy. But as I mentioned before, Free Guy comes out December 11th. At least right now, that's what it's slated for. It has a PG-13 rating. As a couple of trailers you can go check out, I think it's going to be a very fun time. So it probably won't be the last you hear about it on the podcast. I'm sure one of us will watch it and put it in our What Are You Up To Wednesday update. Uh, but for now... We're going to move on and stay in the realm of movies. We're actually, all of our all of our topics today are movie-centric, which is, is my heaven. I'm a movie guy. Hopefully, it's your heaven, too. We're going to talk about Andy Samberg. Now, I know Nerd Bomber and Tectic and myself, really all of us have watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine all the way through. Nine-Nine? As as, yeah, as far as we've, we've been able to take it. And I think all of us have also watched Palm Springs. Those are like the two most recent, for me, the most recent Andy Samberg touch points. You know, I didn't see Popstar Never Stop Stopping. I love Hot Rod, but that's kind of a golden oldie at this point. Andy Samberg's on the up and up and he's about to get super high. I I like what you did there. (laughs) This is is the title of a movie that he has in the works. It's going to be a superhero comedy. If you couldn't guess from the title, it's going to be, I'm quoting from IGN here, Samberg will be starring in a superhero comedy in which smoking weed gives you superpowers. So I guess think Project Power, but with weed. I don't really, it, I mean, it obviously doesn't get any Sounds more detail than that. dope. Uh, nice. Craig Robinson, another person who Samberg has collaborated with a lot on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and of course, who was also in the office as Daryl. Craig Robinson will be in it, and uh, Common, who I imagine is going to be playing the villain. I mean... He was a convincing villain in Date Night. I don't know. If, that's kind of a, a deep cut. I don't know if you guys saw that movie. He was a very convincing villain there. Date Night was uh, one with Tina Fey, right? Tina Fey and Steve, Steve Carell. Carell. Yeah. Okay. But that those are the three people that are, I guess, associated with it. Well, there's more people associated, but people that you would know. That's the trio. So this was uh, acquired by New Line Cinema in, I guess, a pretty serious bidding war. Similar to Palm Springs. Palm Springs was in a bidding war. That's one of the most expensive films, or maybe the most expensive film ever bought from sundance or sundance or can one of the two this was reportedly a seven-figure deal it's still in the early stages doesn't have a release date or anything yet but i guess we can kind of just talk about the possibilities here i mean for me pineapple express is is a touch point i mean there's there if you take pineapple express which is one of my favorite comedies ever and kick ass which 
wasn't amazing, but it was a really cool concept. And if you put those two together, I think you have something. And especially if Sandberg is behind it. But I don't know. I mean, are you guys you guys on board with this? I mean, if this thing just turns into a giant superhero romp with Doug Judy and Jake Peralta, I mean, I'm I'm here for that. That's exactly what I was going to say. Could not said it better myself. Right. The the Doug Judy Jake Peralta uh, shenaniganery. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to spoil anything because it goes to various places. But for those who haven't watched the show, it's it's that alone is worth watch. It makes it worth watching. But um. They clearly work very well together. I guess they must be buds in real life if they're teaming up. Uh, I see what you did there. This sort of project. Uh, It was unintentional. But yeah, we're dropping all kinds of marijuana puns. What I'm really uh, curious about is every superhero has a superhero suit. What will that look like? I I really hope it's like tights over the top. I feel like it's going to be very ridiculous. I mean, it's got to be green, right? We can workshop this right now. It's got to be green. You know how Spider-Man has the spider on his chest? It'll be a marijuana leaf. I mean, what, what, what's, let's back it up from the costume. What are his powers? Or is it like a Project Power situation where smoking weed gives a different person different powers? I feel like uh, it could be. I feel like, because I'm hoping that both Craig Robinson and Andy Samberg are superheroes in this. And so I'm hoping that they each have like a different superpower. And I feel like one is going to be the sidekick for the other. And they're going to bicker about who's going to actually be the sidekick the entire time. Right. I think it's just going to be they slow down time. When really time was never going slower, just <laughs> right. they were. <laughs> or they're gonna they're gonna feel like they're flying, like uh, but only a couple of feet off the ground, but then they're not. That's gonna be that's gonna be their superpower. Yeah, I mean, I I think you might have just written one of their running jokes. If, they, if the writers are listening to this podcast right now, I think Nerd Bomber just wrote one of your running jokes about the sidekick thing. Yeah, you can just come give me a call. You know, we can workshop some stuff. We'll sit in the writers' room. You know. Wow, very uh, very professional and official. What you've, <laughs> what you've just done. Yeah, I mean, again, like like Pineapple Express, love that movie. I mean, stoner comedy is, I think, kind of hit or miss for me because, like, I I think this is the end is also probably categorized as a stoner comedy, and that didn't do as much for me. I always I, I, mean, have a, I have a sweet spot for um, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. I don't know why. Like when I watched that movie, I was too young to even really relate with any of it. I think right and still heckin loved it so that has a sweet spot if it's anything like that basically just a buddy stoner comedy and then adding in superhero jokes and humor like i I really hope they don't take it super seriously like i hope they're poking fun at the whole superhero movement in general kind of like the boys does but in a much obviously lighter tone and not super serious and gory that has to be their plan i mean I, i i don't know but like it's it's a great premise um, and, and I would, I would argue too. I mean, this is weird to say, but like, I think the stoner buddy comedy is like is overdue for, for for an entry, and to be able to combine it with something like you know the superheroes like Geist, I think would be potentially profitable. Yeah, I don't know. Again, not in development yet, not or in development, but in the early stages, no release date or anything. Uh, we can workshop the costume and a little more in post, and and you know maybe. Uh, oh, this is a good time again to, to shout out the Twitter folk. So Twitter folk. We need an official name. I mean, should we just call the Twitter folk the Online Warriors, or is that us? I think it's the Online Warriors family, right? We can we can we can get very comfortable with We're everybody. A family? I mean, how big is this family? How many kids have have you and Tectic had? I'm getting skewed out. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about like big families, you know family that was my vin diesel impression well i think this is another good opportunity so we're, we're we're piling up opportunities to shout out our twitter fandom so on twitter we have at online warriors one we have at ow lady six at ow tactic at ow nerd bomber uh it's clear that we need a name for our fandom 
you know, whether you guys are the Warriors, whether you are, I don't know, the Kings and Queens to stick with the with the medieval ambiance or something entirely different. You could even just be the Twitter folk, as I said before. We need your help. And we also need your help in coming up with Andy Sandberg's costume for Super High. Uh, I already said, you know, probably green, probably have a marijuana leaf on it. But past that point, you know, not knowing what the powers are, we're leaving it up to you guys. We're up for any feedback. But yeah, Super High, very exciting. I guess before we move on, what powers, if you, ha- if you smoked weed, what superpower do you think it would give you? So I think, I think while the slowing down time makes sense, I think he's just going to be like generic superhero with super strength and he's going to stand for like weed is good and then other drugs are bad. So he'll like look at the camera and go crack is whack kids and the bad guy's going like, to do crazy other stuff. That's my theory. Uh, that's a bold vision F- for me. I'm envisioning, you know, again, kind of sticking with, with the tropes here. There has to be a superhero out there who can just eat everything, right? Like, oh, you got a bomb that's going to go off? I'll eat it. Like That's a actually a really good the, one. I like that. With the munchies. Yeah, like, like, oh, I can eat, like, I don't know. There's probably a lot of superhero situations in which it's beneficial to eat something that you shouldn't be able to eat. I, can, I can't think of anything other than the bomb right now, but that'd be one, you know? I think you guys are missing a very obvious one, and I would say that I would want to be impervious to pain because I feel like that is a feature that you get from smoking, and I feel like that would be pretty useful. So that's a, and incidentally, that's did you guys see Kick Ass? Either of you? It's like I feel like good. I did a long time ago, and I remember it was like one of those movies that everyone watched and talked about. But honestly, I can't remember any of the details about it. I did see it, remember it, and really liked it. So he gets is he, he gets hit by an ambulance or something, isn't that what happens? Yeah, he, he likes impervious to pain. Well, he's not impervious; he just doesn't feel it. Right. Well, what's the difference? One pain is just a feeling. One, I think, has an invincibility to it, doesn't it? I oh. think if you're impervious to pain, you just don't feel. Well, we don't have to get into the. We can argue that offline, I guess. But um, yeah, that's a good one, Nerd Bomber. I guess, again, we can call it the Twitter folk. What what superpowers do you think would pair well with, I don't know, smoking a lot of weed? So hit us up with that. Right now, we're going to go to our break. We're going to come back and talk about Spider-Man a little bit, again, staying in the movie realm. But before we do, we're going to hit our break. But first, I would be remiss if I did not shout out our fantastic patreon producer mr ben Jackness. if you listen to the podcast at all you've heard ben's name many many times now we should have a ben counter that i I have one of those little counters that i click every time i say his name and we could have an accurate reading but right now i'll just say it's probably hundreds uh because ben's supporting us ben supporting us for a long time and we're super grateful to him for that he's you know had a few guest spots on the show now he gets this shout out every every show he gets input into our game segment which later i think nerd bomber is hosting because once again i've lost but if you want to be like ben the good news is that option is available to you. You can head over to patreon.com slash online warriors podcast and check out all the details there. We have three levels of support. Uh, ben supports us at the night level because he is very knightly and gallant and other things that are said about knights. And as a result, he gets the benefits I just mentioned, the shout out, the occasional guest spot, the input into the game segment. And he also gets access to our monthly secret segment and vlog. There's also a squire level, which gets you access to the monthly secret segment and vlog. And then there's the page, which gets you access to the monthly secret segment. So again, the details for that are at patreon.com slash online warriors podcast thank you to ben we'll be right back to talk about some casting news on spider-man 3 hey everyone my name is josh and i'm the host of the still loading podcast on still loading i talk about retro and modern video games video game history as well as some goofy projects such as an episode of dramatic readings of video game manuals I've also had composers like Austin Wintory, Andrew Prallo, and Chad Sider on to talk about their upcoming projects. New episodes are released every other Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
If you want to check out the show, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, we're back. We're going to talk about the MCU's Spider-Man 3. We're not talking about the amazing Spider-Man 3 with Tobey Maguire where he dances in the street. I know you all wish we were talking about that. I thought the amazing Spider-Man was Andrew Garfield. When I said the amazing Spider-Man, I meant the amazing movie, Spider-Man 3, (laughs) where Tobey Maguire is dancing in the street. I mean, really, if you haven't seen this, just all you have to do is watch that one scene. You get a flavor of the entire movie. Go on YouTube right now so it's, cheesy it's so good he's 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 humping the air he's like got that emo popped collar look finger Oof. guns um it's it's it means everything to me it's very important to me so go check it out if you haven't but that's not what we're going to talk about we're talking about the mcu spider-man 3 we have, of course have already had spider-man homecoming and spider-man far from home we can workshop other home related titles for spider-man 3 but for right now it's just called spider-man 3 so we got some casting news for this fairly recently so jamie fox for those of you who have seen the amazing Spider-Man 2, which now we're talking about the Andrew Garfield versions of Spider-Man's, Jamie Foxx plays Electro in that movie. And obviously he doesn't start the movie as Electro. He becomes Electro. It's basically a villain origin story. And then they fight, etc., etc. He is slated to return as Electro in Spider-Man 3. So we should talk a little bit, you know, again, we can swing it over to our comics expert tactic about, you know, what exactly electro's powers are how he separates himself from spider-man's previous villains and by by spider-man i mean tom holland spider-man but uh i just want to say you know i actually i don't like andrew garfield as spider-man he's my least favorite spider-man i think that's a a fairly commonly held opinion but i actually i dug amazing spider-man too uh the first one was whatever the second one was actually really good and they set things up you know for i think it was the sinister six and it didn't get off the ground obviously because then that franchise died and i was actually pretty sad about that because they had a good thing going with jamie fox's electro and then they also had paul giamatti as rhino it was it was a whole thing but i guess to, to open the discussion did you guys see amazing spider-man 2 have you seen what jamie fox can do as electro i did i thought it was fine you didn't like it okay i i, I yeah for me it's one of those things i know it like wasn't widely liked i just it, i was vibing with it i don't really know exactly why i just felt good about it i think they were just too extra with with his abilities i think there's a happy medium which i'm a little nervous they're not going to hit because the image that was shared by jimmy fox is showing him like in the thunderous clouds so i feel like he's going to be extra super powerful again and and he don't get me wrong he is a powerful villain he can control electricity like that that's powerful but does that mean he can fly you said he's in the clouds I'm trying to back this out. I mean, many, many heroes and villains alike have used their powers as thrust vectors. So So like a a Stormfront in the boys type thing? Yeah, but I don't want to see this. I want to see more of a humanistic, not godlike being. And that was part of the issue that I had with The Amazing Spider-Man 2 was it was just almost too much. I want to see... I want to see really something like an electrical equivalent of Spider-Man, honestly, um, that okay. kind of so you're, you're, can, can you're go saying, toe-to-toe. So you're saying, you know, him, again, kind of spoiler for those who haven't seen the movie, but him essentially destroying Times Square, is that's what he does in that movie, right? Like he, he has an outburst and Spider-Man's trying to talk him down and he winds up just like, <laughs> yeah, like really blowing blowing crap up with electricity in Times Square, which of course there's a lot of like electricity in Times Square. But you want something that's more close quarters. So I mean, like, there's another you, big fight. If, at a power if you plant, took so if you yeah. took Spider Man's dynamic movements and combined it with kind of Iron Man's moving and swooshing, that's what I'm hoping to see. I and really want to see in the comics. I'm sorry. Is that reflected in the comics? I don't know how powerful he is there. It's more like, I guess, for lack of a better term, kablam, pow. 
So um, more like a pistol okay. shrimp, would you say? Stop. Gosh. Just stop. <laughs> but I, I, I want to see... It. it was right there. I'm I want to see epic fight scenes as opposed to just mass explosions and destruction, I guess is what I'm saying. Okay. That's a reasonable... I mean, and I, I think the MCU Spider-Man, to, to, to give it the credit it's due, I think it has accomplished that, right? I mean, I, I don't want to get into spoiler ter- territory with the second one, but like... I think, I think they found a good balance with some of the villains and the way that the combat is. And, and that's, yeah. that's why I was excited for the villain announcement, but I was a little... Uh, Leery. Cautiously optimistic with the poster that was shown. I gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say, too, to grant this more color, you know, I really liked Far From Home and Homecoming both. You know, I think both of them also benefited a lot from fantastic villain characters. I, I, I think, actually, when I think about these most recent Spider-Man movies, I don't think about Tom Holland first. I think about Michael Keaton and Jake Gyllenhaal. I mean, for those who have listened to the podcast for more than five seconds, they know that I'm in love with Jake Gyllenhaal. I would have his children, specifically the bearded Mysterio Jake Gyllenhaal. It's like <laughs> one of my top Jake Gyllenhaals. So I was very into that whole situation that was going on, but I think he also was a really fantastic character. I think what they did with Mysterio in that movie, it was something that I wasn't prepared for. And I think they really they really nailed that. So I think there's a lot of weight on Jamie Foxx's shoulders here uh, to to bring bring the heat the way that those two guys did. But I do think that he he can do it. Is he a part of the Sinister Six? I don't know who's in the Sinister Six. Yeah, no, you were right when you said it before. He's part of the Sinister Six. There's Rhino. There's... Vulture? Gosh. Vulture is in it, yeah. One of the goblins, maybe. I don't know. Venom? Is Venom in it? Well, you do just tell me in a second. Venom is but, not in the Sinister Six. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if any... I mean, we know that Jamie Foxx can do this. I mean, I think what you've said about scale is... It's Hobgoblin, well Sandman, Doc Ock, Mysterio, Vulture, and Electro. Okay. Boy. Okay, well, well, let's move the conversation this way then. Assuming, because uh, kind of tied into this news, at least what I've seen is that there are rumors of the Sinister Six showing up. I mean, the Sinister Six could be a really, really cool thing. And again, it was teased at the end of Amazing Spider-Man. I mean, Spider-Man we've 2. seen Vulture in Homecoming. We've right. seen Mysterio. We've, right. We now are now going to get Electro. So that really only leaves three left. Right. So well, my point is, let's fill in the gaps. Let's talk about Doc Ock. Because Doc Ock showed up in Spider-Man 2, which is in my opinion, the best Spider-Man movie that exists. Played by... Wow, man, what is this guy's name? I can't think of the guy's name right now. It doesn't matter who played him there, but who would you get to play Doc Ock is is the question that I'm I'm getting at. So before we even get to Doc Ock, I think the Alfred next... Alfred Molina, that's who played him, sorry. I think the next character would be the Hopgoblin. I think you have to introduce everyone else because ultimately I believe they're going to have Doc Ock being the person that brings the team together. Yeah, I can see them approaching the whole Doc Ock thing, kind of like how the video game approached it, where I think they're going to try to make some kind of tie between Peter and Dr. Octavius. I think they're going to try to build a relationship there, and I think that'll be like another thing, another trial and tribulation that this Peter Parker will have to go through losing another mentor that he really valued and looked up to. I think that'll be like another internal battle struggle and one of those things that shows like what his metal is as he works through something like that. Well, okay, we can we can talk about Hobgoblin because this kind of ties into something else that that we were thinking of of discussing. So another rumor that's circulating is that obviously we got into the Spider-Verse, which is an animated film, but Sony's in control of that. And Sony also has a hand in, in, this, in these Spider-Man movies of Tom Holland. There are rumors circulating that Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire in some small fashion will show up in Spider-Man 3 uh, or in, I guess in a Spider-Man movie down the line. So as far as Hobgoblin goes, James Franco was Hobgoblin. Yes. I mean, there was Green Goblin, which was Willem Dafoe. And then 
was James Franco Hobgoblin or was he just Green Goblin 2? I don't He was supposed to be the Hobgoblin. That's what I thought. I want him. <laughs> I want him. I know it doesn't make any sense, but like I thought he was great when he did that. That was, you know, I can't think of anyone better, but I guess I'll I'll, I'll turn it over to Tactic or Nerdbomber if you guys have opinions on my Hobgoblin knowledge is limited. Admittedly. So, I am and and this is going to touch into my what you up to Wednesday, but as far as like crazy person roles, I'm all in on Rami Malek to play that role of the Ooh, Hobgoblin. That's a good choice. Yeah. I mean, he's got the eyes for it for sure. So, <laughs> That's my. He's about boat. to play a villain in a Bond movie too, so that's a good answer. Nerd Bomber, anything to add? Any other crazy-eyed people? I mean, Willem Dafoe also had crazy eyes. I'm trying to think. I'm really bad at these like on the spot. Who would you get to act things? I, I have no idea, honestly. Well, then there you have it. The top three: Rami Malek, James Franco, and if all else fails, <laughs> Willem Dafoe. Bring him back. <laughs> Dane DeHaan was the Green Goblin in Amazing Spider-Man Two. He was not very good. I thought he was too gobliny. If that makes any sense. You mentioned someone else in this in Sinister Six, but I don't. I want to. I really want to skip to Sandman. Okay, I don't know who played him. It was uh, C. C. Thomas Howell or someone uh, in Spider Man Three. But I want to skip to Doc Ock. That's the one that I'm so excited about. I mean, who would you get to play Doc Ock? This is a tough one. This is one that again I don't really have an answer. And it, it, the other thing too is that the MCU. There's not a lot of people left that aren't involved in the MCU in some way. You know, we heard a rumor. I don't know if you guys saw this that like John Krasinski was in talks to like become an alternate universe Captain America. No one's safe at this point. And granted, I wouldn't want John Krasinski to be Doc Ock, but that's something I guess you know. Unless Tactic, you have an immediate Rain answer Wilson. you can think of. Rain Wilson. Wow, I am on board. Honestly, that is. I, I see what you did there with The Office, but... I did. That was like, I made the jump and I was like, that would be perfect. Because it would. He He's played kind of like a zany scientist in several other movies before. And I really think he would make a really good Doc Ock. Yeah, I concur with that one. I think, uh, yeah, I, I think I'm here for that, you know, lacking... Hear, hear me out. Someone who I think is great and granted, never played a villain to my knowledge. Nathan Fillion would be a good Doc Ock. I'm just going to, I'm just going to to lob lob that into the fray but for now we can we can move on i just you know i like speculating on stuff like that so so jamie fox is confirmed to play electro we've heard these rumors swirling about other spider-mans and we of course have our own ideations about the sinister six but for now what we know is the jamie fox news and we know that electro is coming back so get hyped for that right now that brings us to what are you up to wednesday and tactic you kind of already started so i'm just gonna let you continue stream of consciousness let us know what you've been up to so we have been hardcore binge watching mr robot starring rami malik and season one will absolutely get anyone hooked it's it's phenomenal especially if you enjoy computers and and programming there's there are truly parallels to a lot of the programming functions that you use in that so if you enjoy it you get a kick out of some of the realisticness uh functions and things that they call out to and i appreciated that now he's a hacker right that's the whole shtick yes he's a corporate hacker yep and right now we're at season two, which has totally divulged into not about a guy hacking, but about a guy struggling with, with mental illness, which okay. is an interesting take, but it's very, 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 very drawn out. And I just want resolve so that he can get back to hacking. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I, I enjoyed season one a lot. And then they... Basically, the last couple episodes of season one, without giving any spoilers, even though the show is relatively old, they completely turn everything that you think you know on its head and then spend the rest of that time then exploring the inner workings of someone who's mentally ill, which is fine. But you go from this very high paced kind of high stakes action driven show to all of a sudden a very introspective look 
at mental illness. And it's just, it's a very jarring transition for me. Right. The favorite thing that I saw with someone describing season two is the writers of the show decided to make the edgy version of every character. Now, this is still running, right? Uh, no, I don't believe so. I think it, it ended. After how many seasons? I thought this was still going on. Am I old? Did this, was this happen like many years ago? I think it's a relatively old show. Yeah, I think it only has four seasons. It ran from 2015 to 2019. So it didn't end that long ago, but it did end. I see. Okay. You know, four seasons is, is to me near the, I, I think four or five seasons is the ideal number for a show. I have, I have strong beliefs about that. I think Dexter should have ended after four seasons. I think The Office should have ended after season seven, which granted is not four or five, but shows outlast their welcome. And I think shows should tell certain stories and then end them. So yeah, I might check this out. I've heard so many good things about it. I don't know, you know, if it would play to me to the extent that it's clearly playing detective with the programming stuff, but it sounds very interesting. Craig Robinson has made an appearance in it. So there's that. Wow, that's interesting. I would not have expected that. Cool. Binge binge away, my friend. Keep us updated. Nerd Bomber, what do you have? So aside from watching Mr. Robot, one of the other things that I've been trying to accomplish is to rack up gamer score. And basically, if, if you know anything about the Microsoft Rewards program, essentially, if you use Bing or Microsoft Edge browser, which are both kind of subpar, I'll say it there. They're not that great. But if you use them, you get rewarded with points, basically, that you can redeem for Amazon gift cards or Microsoft gift cards at a 90 per, or 90% clip. You save 10% on whatever you buy if it's a Microsoft-based right. product. So recently they added, well, not that recently, but they added Microsoft Game Pass Quest. So you basically get points for playing video games. And one of the shticks that they're doing right now for the month of October is until the 19th, as many gamer points as you can rack up, up to 10,000 will translate into rewards points. So for perspective, 10,000 points is 10 bucks. So right now my account balance just from using Bing and doing their silly surveys every now and then was sitting at $25. So the last few days I've been trying to rack up a few more points, maybe get a couple months of Game Pass or put that towards a console. So I've played a lot of games that I don't think I would have played otherwise because I was just looking for games that would give me like quick and easy achievements. And so one of the games that I want to touch on is called Tracks. And essentially it has turned like I wasn't expecting anything from it. People said you could get all the achievements in 20 minutes and it literally it you get dropped in a room. It can be an empty room or you can choose like a living room setup and you literally just build train tracks. And then when you're done, you hit a button and it puts you as the conductor of the wooden train and you get to ride around in your train from a first person perspective and there's just like very calm music playing in the background and like for something that you could pick up for 10 minutes and just kind of like mess around and then ride in a train it's very relaxing and considering the other game that i've been playing is doom eternal it's just a really nice come down from when i'm playing doom eternal and like really getting my blood pumping and running around like a maniac cutting down demons and stuff to then kind of take a step back and just build a nice relaxing train set and pick up some passengers and take them to the station you know it, how, it, it's how really is eternal fun. how is eternal by the way not that i don't want to hear about wooden trains but how, <laughs> how, how, how is eternal doom eternal is really good if you so i'm not that far in yet i would say i probably only have like four hours into it but if you played the first doom from 2016 i would say it's kind of close to more of the same I mean, very fluid combat, very fast paced and very like it feels very satisfying. And 
I'm playing on normal level. I'm not a masochist. I don't want to put it on hard level, but I, d- I didn't shy away from normal level. And there's just enough of a challenge where you'll get frustrated by something over and over again, but then you'll finally get it and it feels extremely satisfying. And for me, it's not even so much the combat and they have added more stuff to combat. Like there's a, a flame gun thing on your arm and now you have like a dash thing and you can climb on walls and you couldn't do that in Doom 2016, but you can do that now. But one of the things that they, I think, leaned into a little bit more is platforming. And I don't remember Doom 2016 having that much platforming. And I just played that like a few months ago. But there's a lot of things where you have to time jumps right. And then you like if you don't grab onto the spinny gymnastic pole thing to fling yourself across the, the gap, you'll end up falling into lava and you have to start over. And things like that, I don't super enjoy. So those sections of the game I could do without but I would say if you like Doom 2016, definitely try Doom Eternal because it's, it's more Doom goodness, really. So I actually, I never finished 2016. I have 2016 for the PS4. And I actually also have the VR. The VR is so fun, but it is so hard. I think if I were to pick Doom up again, I would probably stick to stick to just the debate, the non-VR experience and, and play through it. I remember really enjoying it while I was playing it. But that was actually a game that I originally, I rented it from the library <laughs> where I am. So I played a certain amount of it and then I had to return it. And then I later on bought it, but I didn't, it wasn't a contiguous kind of playthrough. So I, sh- I should pick that one up again. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would definitely say to go back and revisit it because I just played it, like I said, two months ago or something like that. And I mean, it didn't feel like you were playing an old game. And honestly, if you didn't right. tell me that Doom Eternal was Doom Eternal, I would have thought it was a continuation of 2016. Not not in a bad way. I mean, it, it's just the combat. It, it's Doom. It's exactly what you would expect from Doom. You know what I mean? Right. It's like hard rock, punchy, boom, boom. I mean, yeah. it's, yeah, it, there's not a whole lot of a story associated with it. I remember, I remember when that game hit, it was a huge deal. And like, like there's, it, there's more story in Eternal than there was in 2016. They're trying to like shoehorn in the story, but honestly, you can pretty much ignore it because to me, it's just a bunch of guys talking about saving the world. And I don't have, right. like, I don't have any connection really to Doom Guy. I, I'm just here to shoot some demons, and that's okay. That's all I need. I think that's what most people are, are in it for. But that sounds cool. Have fun with the Doom and have fun with the trains. <laughs> On my end, and kind of actually similar to the train game, my girlfriend and I recently, you know, we, we, we seek out couch co op experiences. Um, and we're right now, right now we're, we're, we're switching, uh, Nintendo switching. And I got her as an early birthday gift the Untitled Goose game. Are you guys familiar with this game? Oh, yeah. It is so good. It is like, it's so... Have you guys played it? I've watched people play it, but I haven't played it myself. It's very... I would say low-key in a manner similar to what you're describing with, with the train game. Like, the the soundtrack is like one guy playing a piano and you're a goose and you're just walking around honking and like... And you're, you're the, the whole job is to cause mischief, right? So like, you go into people's gardens and... you get a to-do list of like basically ways to screw up their lives (laughs) so you're just like you're causing mayhem and it's really fun can i recommend replaying through that another couch co-op game that is really fun surprisingly so for the king that is a game nerd bomber and i have started playing as well and it's kind of like i guess settlers of Catan meets final fantasy and like D and D, you're basically you're you're moving around like a hex grid board game almost. But then there's more turn based, like video gamey type battle. It's quite good. Interesting, duly noted. So we've yeah we've we've been playing that, and the only other real update that I have is I've moved from the Fellowship of the Ring to the Two Towers as far as book reading goes. And uh, Two Towers is actually shorter, and I'm I'm moving through it at a little bit of a, a faster clip. So continuing the journey there. But it's quiz time now. 
And I'm going to continue my journey to victory, hopefully. Uh, Nerd Bomber, what's the topic today? All right. So this week we have the fun topic of podcasts. So this is one of the options that was given to our wonderful Patreon subscribers, Patreon subscribers last week. And because we had a tie, we are now going to explore podcast trivia. So it's kind of like podcastception. And we should be experts. I mean, we, we have a podcast. We both should we both should get 100%. So I know you said that you should be an expert before, but that has fallen through. So I would not Literally hang your hat on that out. just yet. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that I think what usually happens is I'm like, I'm going to blow this and then I win. Or if, if I say I'm feeling confident, it never goes well. So see, you should I'm never really come in with confidence then. Right. Lesson learned. So well, this is going to be prices Right style as we have been doing. And we're going to kick it off and let Tactic go first. So you have a little bit of an advantage, I believe, illegal, give you a little bit of yeah. a handicap I'll, here. I'll take it. What year was the term podcast first coined? I'm going to go 1984. Now, I know this isn't the question. I would love to know what, like why the term, like what it means, because I actually don't know. It's, it's later than that. I'm going to say 1990. All right. So, Illegal, you actually get a point here. So, writing for don't The say, Guardian. Don't say actually. Come on. <laughs> well, you both seem kind of uncertain. So, I figured, you know, kind of pump you up a little bit here. Wow. Unbelievable. Illegal got a point. <laughs> so, Ben Hammersley, who wrote for The Guardian, suggested that the term podcasting be used as a name for the nascent technology of basically weekly audio broadcasts. And then eventually that just took hold and people started using the term podcasting to describe the automatic download and synchronization of Uh audio content. Also, the 1984 number, I think you both were a little bit too early because I believe they got the pod part of podcasting from the iPod. So the iPod was not out in either of those years. So you guys were both very early, although I guess better than busting. So what was the year? What year was it? Yeah. Oh, sorry. 2004. Uh, 2004. See, I okay, thought it yeah. was going to be some like unique reason for the name that happened earlier. Right. Like I think it's a sci-fi book or something and then later on someone steals it. Yeah. No, actually digital podcasts were a thing prior, but they didn't really have a name. So then this guy came and just threw one out there into the ether and it stuck. Good for you, Ben Hammersley. Cool name too, Ben. So... The second question, and illegal now, you're going to go first. In what numerical version of iTunes did Apple first add podcast support? And for reference, so say like the first iTunes version was 1.0, the next one would be 1.1. So there's like the the main number and then decimals, just so you guys know the formatting. This was their big rollout for version version 3, 3.0. This was their big, their big sell. Tactic, what do you got? I'm going to go. There's so much. I'm going to go 1.1. Wow. So Illegal is taking everything right now. On fire. In June 2005, Apple added podcasting to its iTunes 4.9 software, building a directory of podcasts in the music store. It was the first time that you could subscribe to, download, and organize your podcasts. You got me with your comment with the, the Apple iPod. Right. Oh, I see. Okay. I get what your point is. Gotcha. All right. So the next one up, Tactic, you're going to be going first on this one. As of December 2018, Serial was the most downloaded podcast of all time. How many downloads did it have? Trick question. Serial's a breakfast. But um, Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, I'm going to say 450 million downloads. That's way too many. I, I'm just, I'm gonna be safe and say one. Uh, also, I tried serial. I couldn't I couldn't get into it. By the way, I know that's not. I relevant. feel like you're either into true crime or you're not. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I mean, I I like some true crime, 
but serial was just very it's it, within a podcast format it's very like i like watching youtube videos of like here's a true crime that happened podcasts are so drawn out and it's literally just chronicling someone's investigation and it was i think it was just too drawn out for me but anyways i, I say one okay so tactic you were very close but you busted buddy you said 450 million it's 420 million so illegal gets another point just give me that one come on the runaway the runaway victory is, is in place here how many more questions are there so I have three more questions and a tiebreaker. So right now, basically, Tectic has to sweep the next it. three questions in order to have I mean, a I shot at winning. Should have gotten that one. That sounds like a, a catastrophic failure that I'm fit for. So let's let's keep it rolling. <laughs> so the next question is: According to Edison Research, what percentage of Americans listen to podcasts at least once a month? As of what year? 2019, I believe. This is a lower number than you would think. Just, I'm going to go with the first number that popped in my head. 37%. All right, Tectic, what do you think? 38%. Oof. You both busted on this one. It was 32%. Oh, man. <laughs> That's fine with me. I was so, close and you... Illegal, won. you basically locked this in, but just because we have the questions, I'm just going to keep going for funsies. Yeah. Let, let's let's make the next two worth two points. I'm feeling Ooh, healthy. Yeah, wow. let's keep it interesting. Okay, let's do it. According to Small Biz Genius... How many shows does the average podcast listener subscribe to each week? Three. Boy, that's a really good answer. I Okay, I'm going to say four, and it's not to be a jerk. It's I, I, I legitimately think it's four. All right, so you locked it in even more. You now have five points. The average podcast listener subscribes to and listens to about seven different shows on a weekly basis. That, one a day. That's too many. That's too many. Unless it's ours, in which case, good choice. You should listen to our show seven times a week. The same show. Right. Don't even like go back right. into legacy episodes. Just the same show over and over. Me- <laughs> memorize it. Yeah. All right. Let's see if I can get a point. Okay. So the next question. Points. How much do businesses spend on advertising on podcasts? And this number is from 2018, but that was the most recent number I could find. This is a lot. This is a, like, given how many podcast ads I hear, this is a lot of money. This is $300 million. I'm going to go $1. All right, so Illegal continues Come his on. clean sweep. Businesses spent $497 million on podcast advertising in 2018, according to the Interactive Advertising Bureau. So I think this is starting to prove that there is no collusion on the set of the Online Warriors when it comes to Listen, trivia questions. <laughs> we want I, I, I think, think what it proves, I know the business, guys. Uh, we, we've been podcasting for a while. I know the game. This is, this is my bag. I, I would have never thought so, but... I mean, you this had some, some, some lucky ones, like when I was 20 million off and you were 430 million off. Hey, it's price hey, is right rules, str- man. Yeah, it's called strategy. What do you... Gosh, I took this one home. So I will be hosting next week's game. I can't wait. Patreon subscribers, looking forward to getting a juicy topic from you. But until then, we are going to sign off again. I want to thank uh, Stephanie Chukowski again for joining us for an interview in the front half of the show. But for now, shout out to the Twitter folk hit us up there i already mentioned the handles you can go find us leave a leave us a review on apple Podcasts if you're so inclined and uh keep on keeping on this is illegal 86 for tactic and nerd bomber saying have a great week